What's up, family? You are tuned into Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. From KPFA Radio and the Pacifica Network, I'm your host, Cat Brooks. Earthquakes. If you live in California, you've made a decision to live with them. Many of us walk around pretending they're not really a thing, which works for a while until you're sitting on your couch or snuggled in your bed, and then you feel that jolt. Those of us in Northern California certainly have felt a couple of jolts recently, as have our fellow humans on the Pacific Rim, Mexico, and Taiwan. Scientists in California have long been trying to figure out how to best prepare us as well as how to warn us for when the big one comes. We are joined this morning by Dr. Jennifer Strauss, External Relations Officer for the Berkeley Seismology Lab, Product Manager for the MySHAKE app, and the Media Bureau Co-Coordinator for Earthquake County Alliance Bay Area. Good morning, Dr. Strauss. Good morning. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to talk to you again. I mean, you're a wealth of information, even though I usually have nightmares for about a week after we talk. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> um, so, you know, as per my intro, the the other week I was sitting on the couch with my partner watching TV, and all of a sudden it feels like the house shifted. It was real fast. It was less than a second, probably. Uh, the only real noticeable thing was the door upstairs slammed. Um I was pretty sure it was an earthquake. My partner thought I was off my rocker, but it was indeed. Uh, in fact, there have been several earthquakes in Oakland, it turns out. I went to earthquaketracker.com, and according to their website, as of September 22nd, 2022, there have been eight earthquakes in Oakland in the past seven days, 38 earthquakes in the past 30 days, 330 earthquakes in the past 365 days. So a couple questions here. One, are we just having many earthquakes all of the time? We are having many earthquakes all of the time. Um, most of them are not felt by people. And so you don't really think about like this active earth moving underneath you all the time. But yeah, earthquakes, tiny earthquakes, unfelt earthquakes are happening all the time. And that's why we live in earthquake country. <laughs> and the the second question, uh, which comes up whenever there's sort of a noticeable spate, let's say these, these little earthquakes, uh, is... Do these little earthquakes that have all been sort of clustered together um, mean that we should be bracing ourselves for the big one? Like, is is this like right around the corner? Is this the Earth version of Shake Alert? <laughs> that is a really great question. <laughs> I like how you frame that. Um, I think <clears throat> that we don't want people to start getting sort of like panicked whenever like a spate of earthquakes happen, as you say. But we want people to think about um, this is a reminder for general preparedness. We want to be prepared all the time for when an earthquake could happen. Um, rock motions and, and rocks in general kind of exist on like millennial timescales, not like human day-to-day timescales. And so we live in an active fault zone. We have large earthquakes that happen on a regular basis, but that regular basis is for the Hayward Fault, like almost 150 years. Um, for other faults, um, you may have shorter or longer time time frames. But really, we just want everybody to be prepared for for any day that it could happen. Talk to us a bit about the Hayward Fault. Where does it run to and from? And what timeline um, are we on in terms of when we're expecting it to erupt largely again? 
Sure. So the Hayward Fault runs under the East Bay. Um, it's one of the most urbanized faults that we have in California. And it was actually the, um, the star fault, if you will, for the new haywired scenario that has come out um, a couple of years back, looking at the impact of such a built urban environment in the case of a large earthquake. The Hayward Fault has seen earthquakes um, repeatedly at about a 140 to 150 year time scale. Um, when we talked last, I, I think we really talked about the fact that the last one was in 1868. And mm -hmm. so if you add 150 mm -hmm. years to that, we're kind of due. But again, the, the, the error bars on that recurrence are, are quite big, measured in decades. So that doesn't mean that on the 140th anniversary of the quake, we're going to have um, another magnitude seven. But we are expecting that it it could happen that we're we're sort of due for that earthquake, and that's why lifelines around the Bay Area, um, different businesses have really put in different measures to strengthen the infrastructure, to strengthen the buildings, to protect people. And you know, with the advent of the ShakeAlert earthquake early warning system and things like the MyShake app, um, we can of course, have that as an added piece of our toolbox to address that coming in the future. Yeah. And I, I want to get into to Shake Alert shortly, but you did mention Haywired. I wonder if you could say a little bit more about what they do and what their scenario uh, plays out in terms of if that fault has, let's say, a, a magnitude seven earthquake. Sure. So the Hayride scenario is a scientifically plausible look at what could happen in an imagined scenario if there was a magnitude 7 earthquake that happened just under Oakland. Um, it was put together by the United States Geological Survey and a cohort of a bunch of different people, including myself, um, providing again, scientifically plausible outcomes that could happen. So how would water and wastewater systems be impacted? What is fire following earthquake and the consequences for this built environment and the people who live in it? Um, fire following earthquake is one of the biggest challenges after an earthquake, even if you make your building really secure so that it's not likely to fall down in a quake, you could still have a fire that ends up impacting the quake. So I want people to, to think about these scenarios, not in terms of like Hollywood blockbuster movies where you're seeing like chaos and just craziness happening, but more thinking about what would, what would you do if there was a loss of water for 30 days? What would you do if there was a large fire in your area? What would you do if you couldn't go back to work because the building was unsafe to be occupied? Um, and because large earthquakes are followed by large-ish aftershocks, this is not a one and done deal. It's not mm. like the earthquake happens and then we spend the next however many months recovering for it. Part of what Haywire looked at is the aftershock sequence and what happens if you're in the middle of fixing the water pipeline and then you have another earthquake that disrupts that. And so looking at longer term disruptions is really a focus of that. Dr. Jennifer Schaus, a, a 
you you asked the question, what would you do? What what should people be prepared to do if water and waste services uh, are are done for a, a minute? Uh, what should you do uh, around fires? Um, what what are you telling people? And and I think part of why I want you to answer this question is because the reality is, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe I got this from the last time we spoke, is that emergency services are going to be, be busy. And it yes. could be days, weeks, months. And I think there's one estimate. It could be up to upwards of seven months that folks are on their own uh, as, as society tries to put itself back together. Exactly. It could be a long time. So generally speaking, the emergency managers want everybody who has the ability to have sort of 72 hours worth of stuff that they need to get by during their day, whether that's water, medication, um, food, that sort of thing. Um, And that 72 hours is not really like, okay, at the 72 hour mark, everything's back to normal. (laughs) (laughs) The 72 hours is supposed to give you some breathing room so that you can come up with a plan of what to do next. It could be that your particular neighborhood is not severely impacted and you're able to not only go on with your day-to-day stuff, but maybe you could be a conduit to help other people in other areas that are more impacted. Um, Your place of business will likely, over those three days, try to contact all of the workers or schools will try to contact parents and make a plan of what they're going to do. Um, Certain areas will have water, wastewater impact for long periods of time or electricity for a long period of time of time, but that doesn't mean that we're an island, right? Right. Not every part of the Bay Area is going to be impacted in the same way. And so there may be ways of sort of sharing the burden and and all of us coming together and, and being resilient together. But you have to have those 72 hours so that you can think about how you're going to move forward. Right. I mean, and, and these scenarios are really the the call, right, for increased mutual aid organizations, um, increased mutual aid plans among neighbors, right? Exactly. Know your neighbors so that you, you all are prepared to work together. And and yeah, for those of you, those of us with, with more resources, um, to, for us to be prepared to be able to take care of the rest of our community. Um Dr. Strauss, so that, that's that's on the folks, that's on us. Uh, the state uh, has been working for many years now um, on the early warning system, Shake Alert. Walk us through what is Shake Alert. So Shake Alert is run by the um, United States Geological Survey in partnership with state emergency management agencies and various universities that are taking an opportunity to sort of outrun an earthquake to (laughs) notify people. I think that's the best way you can describe it. So it's not earthquake prediction and it's not a long-term earthquake forecast that something's happening in a couple days. It's literally a bunch of sensors up and down the West coast of the United States noticing that an earthquake has started and algorithms trying to characterize with just tiny, tiny, short amount of data what that earthquake could become, and then trying to send that information 
down the communication lines to licensed operators of the system so that they can start putting together automated controls or warning people a couple seconds before the shaking gets to them. So that's sort of the, the area that we're in. We're in the, the realm of, of seconds to take protective actions. And Dr. Dreyfus, just tell us why those seconds matter. I mean, to me, in like just a few seconds, what can I do in a few seconds? What is, what is the benefit of, of those few seconds of, hey, this is, this is about to happen? Right. So a few seconds doesn't sound like a whole lot when you're like staring down an earthquake, right? But, but a few seconds are actually really great at reducing risk. So some of our classic examples of what you can do in a couple seconds is um, Bay Area Rapid Transit runs shake alert. If there's a train that is at the platform, it can just stay there and not move. So you don't have people getting injured on a train because it just didn't go. You can have firehouse bay doors put to the open position. And so then those fire trucks are not stuck in the building because of a jammed door. And they can actually go out and address the fire following earthquake. Um, earthquake Country Alliance does a really heavy campaign during shakeout to get people to drill, drop, cover, hold on. And so if drop, cover, hold on is a great way to avoid you twisting your ankle or banging your head on something as you fall over, once shaking has started, well, it's even better if you can do it the two seconds before shaking gets to you. So all of these little things sort of build to lessen the burden on the emergency responders that are then responding. You're listening to Law and Disorder. We're in conversation with Dr. Jennifer Strauss, who's the external relations officer for the Berkeley Seismology Lab, product manager for the MyShake app, and the media bureau co coordinator for Earthquake Country Alliance Bay Area. That is a mouthful. Talk to me about the rollout plan for Shake Alert. Like, where, where is it at right now in the state? Where is it going? Who has access to it? How long will it be till everybody has access to it? Sure. So um, the ShakeAlert system has gone live. We are running in all three states on the west coast of the United States. The United States Geological Survey sends alerts out through the iPaws wireless emergency alert system. So anybody who has a phone that is WIA capable um, will receive alerts for earthquakes uh, magnitude 5 or greater if they're in the area of shaking. There are various apps, including our MyShake app that is funded by the California Governor's Office of Emergency Services that will also send alerts to, to phones in, in harm's way. Um, that's for magnitude four and a half or greater quakes. And then there's other users that you may be just walking in the environment um, that, that they're in and they're doing automated controls. Um, so... Those are listed on, on shakealert.org as, as licensed operators for the system. So in essence, we're kind of, we're public now. Uh, we're, we're still working to improve the system, of course, um, and keep installing new sensors. And the Berkeley Seismology Lab is, of course, very active in that in Northern California. But, but we're doing it. It's, it's life. It's, it's going, as we saw in Santa Rosa last week.
That's exactly where I was going to go next. I believe it was a 4.4 or 4.6 earthquake recently hit Santa Rosa and the shake alert system rolled out. Um, From your assessment, went well? uh, Lessons learned? Yes, it definitely um, went well. And a lot of people were alerted in the North Bay. Um, I think the biggest lessons that we learned is that people have different expectations for, for what happens in an earthquake. You know, before we had earthquake early warning, people would feel shaking and then be like, what the heck was that? And then <laughs> you'd have to wait a couple minutes and you'd go online and you'd hear people talking about the quake and maybe you'd eventually get information about the earthquake. And now that we have early warning and people are receiving alerts sometimes before they even feel the shaking, it's like there's this this new expectation that, okay, I got an alert and now I know everything. And, mm. <laughs> you know, people are going online and they're expecting that they don't have to wait those couple minutes anymore to get the authoritative information. But But you still have to do that because the early warning is just that. We're using tiny, tiny amounts of data. Um, and so that's not the full story. And we need some time to get the full story. Um, the other thing that I think we really learned is that people like to get alerted. <laughs> and <laughs> even people like in the East Bay that were outside of the alerting region because they were in the, the weak shaking area or people on the peninsula, they were like, hey, where's where's my alert? Um, and so, and so it's like, well, you didn't meet the the threshold. And then you have other people who are on the flip side where it's like, I got this alert, but it was like super puny. I don't want to be disturbed for that. Um, and so I think there, there's more work we can do on expectation setting and making sure that we listen to the community and what they, what they're looking for and when, what they need from a warning system. Dr. Strauss, a lot of this information, these alerts that we're talking about are heavily technology-based, right? Information you can only find online. And I have questions about how we are ensuring that the most vulnerable of us will also be alerted uh, or protected. Because as we've been talking about, you know, with the Hayward Fault, it'll hit the East Bay. Um, it, or it runs under the East Bay. And if, and if it's seven um, or above, um, my understanding is that East Oakland, where there are large numbers of poor people of color, will be one of the most devastated parts of our city. What specifically, if anything, is being done to address that? So that is one of our biggest challenges, I'm going to be honest with you. Um, with the technology we have, we have made very good inroads in addressing the needs of the low vision community or the, the physically disabled by providing different ways people can drop cover, hold on. But because ShakeAlert relies on the fact that earthquake raves travel at the speed of sound in rock and digital communications move at the speed of light in wires and the speed of light is faster than the speed of sound, you can outrun it. So if you try to move out of that digital domain, sending alerts becomes much more difficult. And I don't think that we have a great answer for that yet. People are exploring different ways of alerting. Um, there are loudspeaker sirens, um, different places. There are um, 
other ways of providing um, public announcement systems in places where people are congregating. But that doesn't really address the person who lives in a house by themselves. They only have a landline phone. They don't have internet access. Um, I don't think that we yet have a good um, a good way of, of reaching those individuals. And, and we need to. Um, like you said, they're, they're vulnerable populations. They are likely housed in the areas that have the least... Um, preparedness, least amount of uh, structural retrofits, um, likely going to be in high impact areas. Um, so if any of your listeners have any um, ideas how we can bring that digital warning to those communities, you know, I, I would be definitely open to, to hearing all those ideas. And I can bring it back to the group. I know that we've got listeners that are actually heavily engaged in, in this thinking and they always email us and uh, I will definitely forward those emails on to you. We've got a wrap here pretty quick, um, but I didn't want to let you go because uh, I enjoy uh, listening to you talk about how uh, you as someone who was steeped in <laughs> this thinking every single day, um, wh what is your plan? How do you keep yourself and your family ready for the day we all know is coming? So a, a very smart public speaker one day um, made the statement that earthquakes is like camping coming to you for a very large quake, you know, it's like camping coming to you. And so I'm going to be honest, my go bag is not a specific earthquake kit. I don't have a separate go bag for fires. I don't have a separate go bag for all this stuff. Like we literally just have my husband's camping kit. And if he can survive for three days in the wilderness with whatever is in that bag, we can too. Um, and so I try to subscribe to every you know city and county that I work in or live in their warn me system or sometimes it's called the county alerting system or whatever so you can get text messages on your phone about things that are happening in your area I have my go bag um, every year during shakeout we make a communication plan not just of my you know nuclear family but my friends and family and make sure we all know, you know, what we would do if, if something were to happen. Um, and then I just try to try to educate myself and listen to, um, the emergency managers, listen to various community groups, tune in to radio, um, broadcasts like this one so that, um, I can get some, some good ideas. Cause I found that even though I've been doing this for 10 years at this point, I'm still learning new ways that I can, um, do a better job of, of being prepared. So I would, I would encourage your listeners to, to think on that. Okay. And this, I, I promise really is my last question because I legit just tried to, to download the shake alert app and I went to my phone and in the app store and did shake alert app. So our app is the my shake app. So you can go to my shake app on either the Google play store or the, um, the Apple store and download it. Got it. I got it downloading right now. Dr. Jennifer Strauss, thank you so much for coming uh, back to KPFA to talk to us. It's, it's, always, um, it's always informative. I'm not going to say a pleasure. Uh, <laughs> it is always informative to talk to you. And I, and I really appreciate your depth of knowledge and your willingness to share it with us. So I so love much. coming to KPFA and speaking with you. It's, it's always a treat on my end, I will say. 
You're listening to Law and Disorder. I'm your host, Kat Brooks. We've been in conversation this morning with Dr. Jennifer Strauss, External Relations Officer for the Berkeley Seismology Lab, Product Manager of the MySHAKE app, and the Media Bureau Co-Coordinator for Earthquake Country Alliance Bay Area. You've been listening to Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. That's it for this episode, family. You can find more information about topics and guests in this episode's show notes. Law and Disorder is produced at KPFA. That's listener-supported radio on the Pacifica Network. The show is produced by Jesse Strauss and hosted by me, Kat Brooks. Our theme music was composed by Steve Raskin of Fort Knox Five. If you like what you heard, please follow us on social media at Law and Dis, that's D-I-S, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to holler at us about something you heard or send us a show idea at lawanddisorder at kpfa.org. You can also find our content live at 8 a.m. weekdays on KPFA. That's 94.1 FM in the Bay Area. Our show and all of KPFA's programs are funded exclusively by you, the listener. And if you're in a position to support us, please donate today at kpfa.org. Take care of yourself and take care of each other. We all we got, fam. <laughs>